Diabetes is an increasing health risk for tens of millions of people. More than 11% of the people in the United States have been diagnosed with diabetes, with tens of millions more going undiagnosed. And that can lead to a lifetime of health issues. But what if diagnosis was as simple as getting an eye scan? If we screen these people and we see the early retinopathy changes, but there's been, not been enough damage yet to decrease vision, our eye specialist colleagues, our ophthalmologic retinal specialist colleagues can intervene on those changes and halt that progression. So they don't go on to develop severe visual loss. That's Dr. Mark Meeker, Vice President of Community Medicine for OSF Healthcare, talking about a new, innovative approach to diagnosing diabetes. And I'm Shelley Dankoff, your host of Health Accelerated, brought to you by OSF Healthcare. It is estimated that more than 37 million people have diabetes. That's about 11% of the U.S. population. And that's a significant number. And sometimes diagnosing people with diabetes can be very tricky because some of them don't have access to care. They may not recognize the symptoms. They may not get to a specialist. It's, a, it's something that needs to be looked at and to find new ways to help diagnose diabetes and to care for those people. Joining me is Dr. Mark Meeker, who is Vice President of Community Medicine at OSF Healthcare. And one of the things we are working on is a new way to get into the primary care physician's office to help diagnose through the eyes. So this sounds very fascinating to me. So let's kind of go back to the beginning, the development of this process and where it all came from. So to your point about the diagnosis of diabetes, I think the first comment I would make is there's two major types of diabetes, type 1, type 2. And I'm going to speak in generalities because I don't want to get too far into Sure. Type 1 usually starts occurring at a young age and it's due to insulin deficiency. And those patients are diagnosed pretty readily because they get very sick very fast. The 10-year-old that ends up in the ED or, or, or the 12-year-old that ends up in the ED because of complications of their high blood sugars. But the much more common type of diabetes is type 2 diabetes. That accounts for about 90% of diabetics. They're type 2. It's later onset. We're starting to see it more in, in adolescents and teenagers and people in their 20s because obesity is becoming such a problem in, in those age groups. But it's a later onset of type 1, and it's an insidious onset. I mean, the blood sugars increase gradually. There's not that sudden illness that you see with a type 1 diabetic. And these people can go literally for years and not be diagnosed. So they don't know they're diabetic. They have high blood sugars and don't know it because the symptoms are subtle. It's slow onset and progresses slowly over the course of years. So let's give really quick sidebar. Let's give those symptoms. If somebody's listening and they want to know, oh, well, maybe I should get that checked. What are some of those slow symptoms? It can be unintended changes in weight. It can be changes in thirst and hunger where they seem to be thirsty a lot, hungry a lot. And then they tend to go to the bathroom more because the sugar is coming out through their urine and it brings water with it. So those are the more common symptoms of, of a type 2 diabetic is weight changes, thirst and appetite changes. Some people get visual changes because when the blood sugar gets high enough, it changes the shape of the lens of the eye and, and that changes the focus of the eye. So they might get blurry vision. So if someone has blurry vision, they're like, what's wrong with my vision? My vision's blurry. Part of that workup is to check your blood sugar. Again, we've seen this growing in increasing amounts. As a physician, does that alarm you with what we have seen both with the obesity issue and then just this it does feel like there's been a mini explosion, if you will, in type 2 diabetes in the in recent years. Well, there has been. 
and it's a very complex situation. And you don't want to make any real sweeping comments about it because you want to be careful with, with, you know, with how you present things. But the fact of the matter is in the last, let's say, 40 years, there's been a significant change in our food supply, our food content, our activity levels. Um, modern technology brings a lot of conveniences, but it also changes our activity levels. So there's been substantial lifestyle changes in both the dietary and food world as well as the exercise and physical activity world that have led to this increased problem with insulin resistance and metabolic syndrome and obesity, and then that, that, that all leads to blood sugar issues and diabetes. It is a real problem because type 2 diabetes, while it's different than type 1, in the end they can cause similar metabolic problems and complications. And one of those complications that we're going to focus on today is visual problems with retinopathy. Right. I know my mother was a longtime type 1 diabetic, so I'm fully aware. And in fact, I go through it again as a, you know, once removed generational with her just to keep an eye on the eyes, if you will. It's very specifically checked for me all the time. Right. So I know because with type 1 diabetics, you know, the retinopathy, there's a real risk of blindness and other issues. But I'd never realized it being a diagnostic tool for other purposes, just to even identify that you might be prone to diabetes. So let's talk a little bit about the development of this and how we got to this point. So interestingly, you set this up really well, because in type 1 diabetes, again, they get so symptomatic so early that they're diagnosed relatively early. So we start screening for retinopathy about five years after diagnosis, because it takes a while for the retina to get right. infected. But in type 2 diabetics, the onset is so insidious and they're usually diabetic for so long before they know they're diabetic that we start screening immediately. Because a lot of these people are already beyond five years of actual diabetes when they get diagnosed. So we start screening for retinopathy and type 2 diabetics immediately as soon as they're diagnosed with diabetes. Or it could be that they go to the eye doctor for a different reason. My vision's blurry and I'm not seeing well. And the eye doctor looks in there and says, ooh, you know, I see changes of retinopathy. Or do you, are you diabetic? Well, I don't, I, don't, I don't know. I don't think so. But maybe they are. They just don't know it. Now, that, that, usually they get diagnosed with diabetes first and they're sent to the eye doctor because the eye changes are also asymptomatic early on. You can have early changes of diabetic retinopathy for a long time before you notice a visual change. And that's why screening that we're going to talk about is so important so we can find it at a stage where we can intervene and prevent visual loss. Yeah, we're always looking at ways to get a person into the necessary and needed health care that they need access to. Because ultimately, in the long run, that decreases cost. If you can keep people healthy and well and out of the hospital or with significant health issues, it's a better thing for us. How big of a problem, how big of an impact just within OSF healthcare, the, our system, are, is this situation with type 2 diabetes and having diabetic patients? Well, you bring up so many points here and there's so many tens to this. So I'll try and organize my thoughts. We probably have, I, I don't remember the exact number, but in our ministry we have well over 65,000 diabetics. I don't remember the exact number, but it's significant. Well over 65,000 diabetics. So these people need screening on an annual basis. And historically that's been very difficult to get done because screening in, before we had this new technology involved dilating the pupil, and then using a handheld instrument to look into the back of the eye by the practitioner to look for the changes of diabetes. So that requires an appointment. It requires eye drop dilation. It requires the equipment to do the, the fundoscopic exam. And the skill set 
on the practitioner's part. Because if you only do these once in a while, you're not as good at it as if you do it every day. So a lot of us got into the habit, like me personally, I would send all my diabetics or try and send all my diabetics to an optometrist or ophthalmologist for them to examine the eyes because they do it every day. They're much more efficient at it than I am. They're better at it than I am. The problem with that, that is that requires another appointment and another office at another time, more lost work, another billing and charge. And there are access issues everywhere. You know, optometrists and ophthalmologists aren't sitting there with empty schedules saying, hey, send me people. I mean, there's access issues everywhere. So we were looking for ways to try and improve the number of our diabetics who were getting screened. Because we knew if you look across the country, about 60% of diabetics actually get the screening they need. Wow. So just a little over half. In OSF, I don't know what that exact number is, but the number of diabetics that we have to get screened within our system by us is only about 28%. And then there's a certain number of them that are going to another facility, another eye doctor for screening that we may not know about because we don't get the record. That's why I don't know the exact number in OSF. But let's just say we're at the national average of 60%. That's only 6 out of 10 diabetics getting the screening that they need. So we have a a division in OSF, our innovation division, which um, is always looking for technology and innovative ways to to deliver health care to improve the care of our patients. And, And they came across this company, Digital Diagnostics, that has developed an artificial intelligence enhanced screening process for diabetic retinopathy through a digital camera that we can actually employ in our primary care practices, have a patient in our primary care office be able to take a picture of their retina with this digital camera right in our office. It goes through an artificial intelligence program that is written to find the changes of retinopathy. And if that artificial intelligence sees those changes, it marks the test as positive. Once we get that result in our office, we know this patient has potential changes of retinopathy on the screening exam. We need to get them to an eye care specialist. Then we can refer them directly to the ophthalmologist who takes care of the the retinopathy. But the AI is good enough that if it's negative, they don't have retinopathy. If they have it, the the AI will find it. So if it's negative, we can just say, your eyes look great, we'll rescreen you again in a year. They don't have to make an appointment at the eye doctor. They don't have to go to another office. They don't have to take another afternoon off work. They don't have another copay. It's all done at the primary care office at the time of a regular visit. It also helps out our eye care specialists because now they're seeing people who have real need to see them. Right. They're not seeing people with normal eyes that just need a screening exam. They're seeing people that have had a screening exam and have an abnormality. So it really streamlines their schedules too to really see people that really need their level of expertise and care. So it's really a win-win-win all the way around. What does retinopathy lead to? So, so retinopathy is, by definition, it's damage to the retina. So retina is the retina of the eye, and apathy means disease process. Right. So it's a disease process of the retina. The high level of blood sugars over the course of time create damage to blood vessels. When the microscopic blood, blood vessels are delivering blood supply to the retina, get damaged over the course of time from the high blood sugars, the retina becomes what's called ischemic. The damaged vessels aren't delivering the amount of blood that the retina needs to stay healthy. So there's a vascular endothelial growth factor that gets stimulated to produce new blood vessels because the retina is saying, I'm not getting enough blood, so make me another blood vessel. So then this 
this VEGF promotes new blood vessel growth. Unfortunately, those blood vessels being developed in the setting of high blood sugars don't develop correctly, and they're weak and they're fragile. They tend to hemorrhage and bleed. And when that happens, you get you get fibrosis and fibrin deposition and other things in the retina, and the retina becomes even more damaged. And when you damage the retina, it's it'd be kind of like putting cracks in the lens of your camera. You know, everything becomes blurry because instead of having a clear lens or a, or a clear picture, you now have defects in the picture. So so you start to get visual loss. But there's a significant amount of damage that goes on before noticeable visual loss. But once that snowball gets to growing, if it's not intervened on, it can. I mean, about a little, almost 30% of diabetics over the age of 40 have retinopathy changes. But only about 4.8% or so actually lead to blindness-level visual loss. But still. If you're one of that 5%. That's four point, yeah, it's 5%. Right. You know, so that's really significant. With something that can be controlled potentially and and altered. So if we, right. so if we screen these people and we see the early retinopathy changes, but there's been not been enough damage yet to decrease vision, our eye specialist colleagues, our ophthalmologic retinal specialist colleagues, can intervene on those changes and halt that progression, so they don't go on to develop severe visual loss. And then on the primary care side, that also then gives us more incentive and the patient, quite frankly, incentive to really pay attention and get things under control, get the blood sugars down, get the blood pressure down, get the lipids controlled. Don't smoke if they smoke. You know, eat a, uh, eat a better healthy diet and exercise. All the things that we do to decrease that disease burden becomes much more f- in the forefront when they now have detected retinopathy. Yeah, I don't. the people fail to recognize that diabetes is a vascular disease. And it Absolutely. impacts everything. They think of it as eating a piece of candy or something as simple as that. And it's like, no, it affects a lot of other body systems in the process. And so this is one of those. So give me some of those stories. When you have people come in and and you found that person or the first time you identified that person, what was that like when you used this technology and you said, whoa, there you are, you saw it. Tell me about that from a from your position as a physician. I personally have have awareness of, of one of the first cases that was diagnosed, and and the staff that were involved were, were so pumped up about it because the patient came in, didn't really have symptoms, maybe wasn't the best under the best control. They did the screening, found the changes that was positive, sent them to the eye care specialist. The eye care specialist was like, "You have significant retinopathy. We're going to start photocoagulation laser treatments to halt the progression." The next part of the story, though, is the patient then comes back to primary care and says, okay, it's time to get serious. Because the problem with type 2 diabetes, the way it's so insidious and causes so few symptoms for so many years, sometimes it's hard for people to take the treatment seriously. So their A1C is higher than we like, oh, but I feel fine. Their blood pressure is higher than they like, oh, but I feel fine. Now, the cholesterol is not quite where it should be, oh, but I feel fine. But when they have that retinopathy change and they can see the photographs of the retina and you can show them a normal one and here's what yours looks like, all at once it's like, oh boy. And you say you could go blind. Uh, yeah, yeah. And this, this is what leads to blindness and you now have it. It's time to get serious. And, and so then those patients will really get into their treatment plan, you know, get into their care plan, pay attention to their blood sugars, check them when they should, try and avoid the foods they really should avoid 
again, not 100% every day of the week, but a vast majority, majority of the time, you know, follow a good diet, take their medications as directed. So just, it, it, it creates a whole different atmosphere to treat the diabetes in. Don't you think some of it is also, sometimes people have a natural fear of doctors. I get it, medical procedures. And you think of things that may be uncomfortable, but honestly, this is a dilation of the eyes. There's an eye drop. But if you can go into a primary care physician's office, somebody you have a relationship with that you've known for a long time, who is aware that you might not be paying as close to your health, pay close of attention to your health as you should be, but might be able to have that conversation differently than, you know, some optometrist or ophthalmologist that perhaps you've never met. Do you feel that has an impact too? Just that conversation you are able to have because of this technology that gives you greater options. There's several things there. Yes, one, you already have an established relationship. Absolutely true. Two, we, when, we, when we did our pilot back in the fall, we had, uh, I don't remember the exact number, maybe 12 practices that, that, that were in our pilot program to test us out, to see. Sure. This is what it looks like on paper, what happens when you actually do it. About 85% of the exams were completed without dilating the pupil. Oh, that's impressive. So the digital camera is able to take a photo through an undilated pupil and see the retina well enough that you don't have to dilate about 85% of the time. The other 15% you may not be able to get without dilating, but we have a protocol in place, a physician vetted protocol that's been approved by eye care specialists for the staff to be able to use some very safe eye drops to dilate the pupil temporarily to then get the photograph to the dilated pupil. And that'll take care of about another 5 to 10%. And then there might be 5% or so of people that we just can't get a good enough picture. We have to send them to the eye care specialist because we can't get a good enough picture with the camera. So it's very, very effective. So, so it saves them another appointment, as we mentioned earlier. It saves them from going to another clinician that they may or may not know, missing work. The other thing that I did mention earlier, when we look at type 2 diabetes and we look at different populations of race, for example, diabetic retinopathy, for whatever reason, appears to come on more robustly in some of the minority groups. So they get worse retinopathy than the Caucasian population that, you know, is the majority of most of our markets. These, the, the minority people also tend to have less access to health care right. for a ton of different reasons that we don't have time to go into, obviously, on this podcast. But, but there, there, are, there are access issues for, for a lot of minority people that just can't get in uh, as readily. So that's kind of the double whammy. So if we have them in our primary care offices and we have them, them there to, be, to take care of them, this is huge to be able to screen them, to find them earlier so we can intervene earlier, and to be able to screen them in a setting they're already comfortable with. Right. It goes to that level of trust. Yeah. A number of you know right. minority populations, as you said, they have a difficult time developing trust with their providers. And so if you can establish that relationship, right. that's an excellent thing because they will listen to you if right. you can develop that relationship. So so when you ask these questions, there's so many facets to the answers because it, it, this is so, it's very multifaceted. But there's so many benefits to this. That's why people get so excited about it. I mean, we, we had offices, we were doing the pilot. I had offices contacting me saying, Dr. Meeker, when can we do this? We've heard about it. We've heard you talk about it. When can we do this? And the answer now is? Well, starting in January, in early January, we started spreading it. Along with our innovation team, 
and I, and I believe business development was also involved in this, we were able to apply for a grant through DKB Med, I believe it is, is the name of the, of, of the organization, to get a grant to help cover the cost of spreading this. Because obviously this is, stuff isn't free. Right. I mean, artificial intelligence is computer programming, and there are programmers that have to write the software. It has to be developed and tested. There, there's just a lot of stuff going on. The digital cameras aren't, are obviously expensive technology. So we were able to get a, a million-dollar grant to help us spread this through other practices. So starting in the first week of January or so, we started to spread from our 12 initial pilot sites to 20-some other practices. I think the total is going to be around 32 practices maybe. We're not going to be able to have it in every single primary care practice because you have to have a certain volume to make it financially feasible and also to keep a skill set up. But our goal is to get it in every market. So that if we have a market that has two or three different primary care practices or six or seven, maybe not all of them have the camera, but the camera's in the market. So at least the patient, you can tell the patient, you know, when you leave here, we're going to have you, you know, run over to this address and get this diabetic screen done real quick before you go home. It's still within OSF. It's in, within the primary care group. It's a sister practice. It's not referring them out to another right. entity. So we're, we spread it in, in January to, to make sure we get a majority of our markets covered. And that is huge. And ultimately, though, when you talk about you need a grant to pay for it, so it sounds... And it is. It's it, it's pricey up front. But ultimately, this should help reduce the cost of health care because if you can do this preventative care and then it doesn't require more extensive care Absolutely. down the road or perhaps the person who's affected, what if they go blind and what if they can't work at their job anymore and all of those things. So ultimately, while there may be this upfront cost, hypothetically should save healthcare costs down the road, right? Absolutely. It'll save healthcare costs and it'll also save money overall. Because if you think about significant visual loss mm -hmm. and what that does to a person's ability to function in society, they have to they have to make all kinds of accommodations. They may lose their work. If they have to have a certain level of vision to keep to maintain their work, they may lose that if they lose that vision. So the cost of of severe visual loss, including blindness, but even severe visual, I think they still see, but they have severe impairment. So the cost of severe visual impairment is very high. And it's also a very, you know, significant impact on quality of life. Right. I mean, don't get me wrong. People that lose their vision, they can lead a very productive, very valued, very excellent life. I mean, it's not like their life stops because they lost their vision. <clears throat> but I, but I think if you had asked them, they would probably prefer to live with vision, right? You know, so and people that have had vision all their life, losing it can be very devastating because they're used to being able to see. If you're born blind, that's a different story. But if you lose your vision and you've been used to being able to see, it, it becomes a big deal. You know, it's a big, a, a big quality of life issue. So anything that we can do to prevent that from happening is obviously a good thing. And and diabetic retinopathy caught early can be significantly altered in its progression. And, and, and that, that's the beauty of this. It's not that we're looking for something we can't do anything about. We're looking for something we can make a major impact on. So if somebody has not is just now hearing about this and they maybe they've put off even just going to their primary care physician, but they know they might be pre-diabetic or that it runs in their family, how can somebody learn more about this program and find out if they or a family member or other loved one could benefit? Well, you can always get on the OSF 
um, website and, 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 and look through the information and do a search on it. And, and I'm sure we have information. We have this podcast, for example, and we have newsroom letters and all sorts of stuff, uh, all yeah. sorts of stuff there. To, but to your point, if you think you might be diabetic or you have a family history of diabetes or you know you're diabetic, but you haven't been seen in a while, just come in and see us. In any of those situations, come in and see us. Let us do an evaluation. Because again, the problem with diabetes, especially type two, is you could be having major damage done to your body and you just don't know it yet because it hasn't gotten to the point of creating an issue for you. But if you wait until you have an issue, you've lost all kinds of opportunity to stop progression. And you will have already lost something that we may not be able to get back. You know, prevention, a penny of prevention is worth a pound of cure kind of thing. You know, I mean, once you lose the vision, getting it back is a whole different story. But if you find the retinopathy before you've lost significant vision and you stop its progression, now you've saved your vision. So waiting until I don't feel well or until I have a problem is not a good idea with diabetes. You want to stay on top of it when you feel great. So you can maintain feeling great. So again, the website for people who are wanting to start the search or to learn learn more information, just go to osfhealthcare.org. That's osfhealthcare.org. You can go into the search bar and type in, you know, diabetic retinopathy. That will come up. Or uh, Digital Diagnostics is the name of the company. And there are stories out there and we can connect you and get all those resources And we can also get you connected to a primary care physician's office as well, because we have those across the state of Illinois, as Dr. Meeker alluded to. Dr. Mark Meeker, thank you so much for joining us today to talk about a very important topic that affects so many people. Oh, thank you. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Health Accelerated, brought to you by OSF Healthcare. Listen and subscribe on your favorite podcast app. You can also find links to any of our episodes on the OSF Newsroom at newsroom.osfhealthcare.org.